You're listening to Insight. I'm Philippa Tolley, and this program explores the burgeoning market in students from India. The number of Indian students coming to New Zealand is growing fast, but so too are problems with fraud. Immigration New Zealand is turning down hundreds of study visa applications, and the Qualifications Authority has introduced new rules to clean up the sector. Insight investigates why there's been a surge in dodgy study visa applications and who's to blame. India, it's home to more than a billion people and in just a few short years it's become New Zealand's second highest source of foreign students after China. In fact, the number of Indian students could soon equal Chinese and the value of international student spending is growing ever closer to the government's goal of $5 billion a year by 2025. But that growth has come at a price. The work and residence rights that go with study visas have attracted thousands of dodgy applications, and an unknown number of students from India are in the country thanks to forged documents. I'm John Gerritsen, and in this insight I ask if the scramble for Indian students and the revenue they bring is endangering the quality of their education and whether tertiary institutions are complicit in the fraud. It's quite peaceful here, over here and the weather is also very awesome here. Here in New Zealand people are more disciplined. Uh, if we travel in the train or bus, everyone will be in a queue. <laughs> in India it will be crowded. Each and everything is like well organised. Rules and regulations are here. These students at the Wellington Institute of Technology are among nearly 30,000 Indians expected to study in New Zealand this year. That's up from less than 12,000 back in 2012. Depending on what they study, they're paying around $18,000 a year in fees, and collectively Indian students are spending hundreds of millions of dollars in New Zealand. In addition, some are staying on and working in skill shortage areas, such as IT and hospitality. New Zealand still isn't the number one choice. Uh, a lot of students want to go to Canada or Australia or US or UK. Liz Batra is an agent in Chandigarh, a city in Punjab in North India, who specialises in sending Indian students to New Zealand. When RNZ's online magazine The Wireless visited her in India this year, she said the opportunity to work and live in New Zealand is a major attraction for many Indian students. From Punjab area, New Zealand is considered as a migrant location because the student visa policy does allow that option. But we tell every student and their parents that it's not a guarantee that they'll get a job, but at least they'll get the experience that will benefit them. Liz Batra says she's registered with Education New Zealand, so she has to meet certain standards. We have to go through certain procedures. We have to meet the students face to face. We need to tell them about opportunities there, about possibilities there, but also the hardships that they will face. And also that they cannot earn their living expenses there. You know, to send money home. If they get a part-time job, probably they could cover the expenses, but they can't send money home. But not everybody is sticking to New Zealand's rules and regulations. In fact, a lot of people are hell-bent on getting round them. There are still imposters that will present as the individual, do the English language test, and then subsequently the applicant will put the application through. Most recently, the fraud that we're seeing is around financial fraud. Jeff Scott is the Assistant General Manager of Visa Services at Immigration New Zealand. He says immigration has doubled the number of staff in India checking for cheats because of a big increase in study visa applications and a high incidence of fraud and deception. 
Jeff Scott says Immigration's Mumbai office is currently approving just 51% of study visa applications due to irregularities. That's broken down into financial crime on one aspect, but there's also other bona fides that aren't correct. The purpose of the applicant applying is not necessarily always to come here and be a student. Sometimes they want simply to work and they're using the student application as a vehicle to get here. A recently identified problem is financial fraud involving the documents students need to prove that they have enough money to pay their fees and support themselves while they're in New Zealand. Jeff Scott explains how it works. We are seeing false bank applications, false documents being presented on behalf of the student that say that they have the money in the bank and it's either not there or when we check, there's some bank managers are complicit in this and will confirm that the money's there when in fact it's not and or as soon as they issue the visa, the money's withdrawn from the accounts so the money was only ever there for a point in time. Those are issues we, we currently face and are actively trying to manage. This is Hyderabad, a city in the lower centre of India and at the heart of the financial fraud that Immigration New Zealand is currently wrestling with. Most Indian students use agents to find a place to study and negotiate the study visa process. Fact sheets from Immigration's Mumbai office state agents from Hyderabad have been using fraudulent financial documents in a big way and other parts of the country are catching on. All of Hyderabad's top eight agents are using this fraud, some for almost all of their applicants. Investigations into India's top ten agents proved so far that five have been using this fraud, three of them extensively. A total of 44 agents have been identified currently involved in this fraud since the 7th of March. The reports from immigration say it appears Indian agents spotted a loophole in immigration's practices about the middle of last year. In March this year, Immigration New Zealand introduced new measures to combat the fraud and in less than two months it had detected 97 cases of forged or fraudulent financial documents. But immigration is also going after students who've slipped through the net. How can I face my parents? I can't explain words. That's, it's a very bad situation, I mean. I'm unable to concentrate on anything, like not even my studies. It's just going on what's next going to happen, what's next going to happen. We can't face our parents because we, our parents has a lot of hope on us. We are achieving something. In my case, I was the first educated person in my family. These Indian students are facing deportation because their study visa applications included faked financial documents but they say their agents forged the papers without their knowledge. Only in that our parents' name, what we call my father's name and my address, that only the correct and everything was false. How this document went with, me, with my file? I believe them blindly. Now I'm suffering for that. One of the students says agents in India are still trying to use false documents. Even recently one of my friends went to over there to come to New Zealand for education. Even now, they are saying also, we will take care of your financial documents like this. But no one has uh, asking the, about the agents. Everyone is point-outing the students. The students say there was no need to forge their papers because they have enough money to study and live here. Their lawyer, Alistair McClymont, says the problem is that Immigration New Zealand wants clear paper trails, but a lot of Indian families do not keep their money in the bank. A lot of times these students will have cash or they'll have, you know, close family members will contribute funds to pay for the study. So you might have a bank statement in which there was $10,000 deposited last week from a cash deposit. Immigration New Zealand generally won't accept that. They will want to see bank statements over a period of 12 months where money has been coming in regularly over that period of 12 months. 
because that would then demonstrate a regular income. Alistair McClymont says the students' agents don't want to lose any business, so they use fraudulent documents. Rather than turning the student back or saying, well, look, it's not going to work, or saying, look, you need to go and get some other documentation or come back in a year when you've got better evidence, they will just then substitute their own documents so that the student gets the visa, so that the agent gets their commission. He hopes immigration will give the students the benefit of the doubt and says if they can prove they have the money, they should be allowed to stay. But Jeff Scott from Immigration indicates there's no room for leniency. They might say that their agent was the one that um, perpetrated the fraud, but the essence of this is a student or any applicant is required to confirm with the application that everything that's supplied to us is true and correct. They sign the application to that effect. The fact that they say that they didn't know is a little bit less than ideal. Whether that's the case or not, I, I suspect not. Jeff Scott says it's important students have enough money to support themselves. There's been some quite tragic outcomes for some. We know of a number of situations where, sadly, um, students have committed suicide. There are mental health outcomes that are less than ideal. And in some instances, it's simply the whole family is indebted to such an extent that they can't repay the debt. The students that are here are trying to work, some of them exceptionally long hours, being exploited at particularly low salary rates or, or wages to try and recover the debt or repay the debt. He says immigration has not quantified how many of the nearly 30,000 Indian students' documents it will be reviewing, but he told Insight it could be all of them. The financial fraud and the high number of refused applications haven't come from nowhere. Munish Sekri lives in New Zealand and India, where he works as an education agent and a licensed immigration agent. He says the current levels of deception are due to a big change in the English language requirements for study visas in 2013. Trusted institutions were allowed to assess potential students' English themselves, and English testing was waived altogether for students who had already studied in an English-language environment, such as a secondary school. You know, we were sitting on a time bomb and it's just blown up now. In India, the result was a near doubling of study visa applications in just a year, and Immigration New Zealand discovered many applicants could barely speak English at all. Late last year the rules were changed, so countries with a high percentage of failed visa applications, like India, did not qualify for the self-assessment of English requirements. But Monish Sekri says the damage was done. When easy funding was available and no English was required, a lot of shoddy agents had come out in the market. It was just like mushrooming after a rainfall. And what happened is, now those people who were offered uh, commissions up to 45 or 50 percent, they got, they've gotten used to that kind of commissions. They don't want to shut the shop if the Rule 18 has come into place. So those are the ones who know that this is a lucrative industry. Let's stick to it. Let's do the, anything dodgy, anything that gets a student onto New Zealand, they are openly doing it. Munish Sekri says Immigration New Zealand should introduce some form of licensing for education agents in order to weed out the bad operators. But he says the students facing deportation because of fraudulent financial documents should be allowed to stay. A retrospective action is going to spoil the reputation of New Zealand. The ground reality is that yes, people have done something wrong, they should be punished for it. But isn't it just too late right now? And isn't it unfair that first you've given a visa, now you want to deport all of them? Uh, look at the cost, look at how many people would go underground and become overstayers. The heart of the international student business is here on Auckland's Queen Street. The office blocks that line this street house campuses for private institutions and polytechnics, specialising in courses for foreign students. 
They also house the India Trade Alliance, where Edwin Paul is the education spokesperson. My business is an outsourced international business development business for the New Zealand tertiary education providers. So what it means is that we're not agents. However, we deal with the agents um, on a daily basis on behalf of our clients. So work with a few polytechnics. Edwin Paul says the fraudulent financial documents for Indian students are the result of people living in a grey economy trying to meet immigration's insistence on paper trails. It is illegal according to the laws of New Zealand and we don't want non-taxed money coming in, etc. I also sympathise with the students because if you explain this in India and ask, is this wrong, most of them would say it's not. And not just in India, in most Asian countries. But Edwin Paul also says there are dodgy education agents and the current problems provide a good excuse for tidying things up. It is a perfect time to clean the market. We talk about educational loan um, fraudulent documents alone at this time, but there are fraud that extends beyond that as well. This is a good chance for us to actually completely scrap all our agents and redefine a new process and say, have you done this, have you done this, you know, are you willing to certify this and do that? And I think that's what immigration and NZQA and ENZ also should be looking at. Edwin Paul says some sort of licensing system might be the answer. In the meantime, he expects Indian enrolments in New Zealand will drop significantly. There is going to be a significant impact. Prima facie, I'd say from 25 to 30 percent straight out. And this is what, if anybody asks me, my clients ask me, this is what I've been saying. This is what we need to be prepared for. And it's worth losing that much when you compare it to the reputational risk that you, you would have. In saying that, again, it is good to do this now because it would be manifold later if we don't fix this now. For all the attention on India, most people I talked to for this insight said similar problems would be found in other markets if Immigration New Zealand looked hard enough. The immigration lawyer Alistair McClymont says in his experience there's as much immigration fraud coming out of China as there is from India. I know that there's a lot of focus on what's going on in India uh, with the agents. The fact that we don't hear anything about the um, same sort of scrutiny in China would make me suspect that they haven't really started doing that, and if they were to apply the same sort of scrutiny, they're going to end up looking at uh, similar sorts of numbers of agents who are assisting in providing fraudulent documents. That view is shared by Paul Chalmers, the spokesperson for the Auckland International Education Group, which represents private providers that specialise in teaching foreign students. Most of New Zealand's international students are from China, and he says there are problems in that market. The Chinese have a different system with their agents that uh, ensures that there's a more consistent approach to providing students. However, there are other problems with the Chinese market that are not related to the fraud issue, but are, are concerning. Paul Chalmers refused to go into details, but Insight understands potential problems include enrolling students with very poor English and awarding qualifications to students who haven't earned them. So until now we saw the difference between ATX and BTX motherboard. You can clearly see that ATX motherboard had certain features. Which was quite but how complicit are New Zealand tertiary institutions in rorting the system? In 2014, Immigration New Zealand's Mumbai office warned the Qualifications Authority that it was turning down a lot of students who had been offered places at certain private tertiary institutions.
A provider who has an average decline rate of 30% or above warrants urgent attention. Such a high decline rate would give Immigration New Zealand serious cause for concern that the provider does not have adequate systems and processes in place to control the quality of the offers of place being issued or that business practices are flawed. A year and a half later, it appears little has changed. Figures provided under the Official Information Act to Insight show that between December last year and the end of May this year, decline rates exceed 30% for 51 institutions that made visa applications for 10 or more students from India. Nine are polytechnics, the rest are private, and the decline rates go as high as 86% and run to hundreds of students at some of the institutions. We have had rejections to student visa applications, refusals based on fraudulent activities or even before refusals, immigration has notified us that there are some questionable you know, documents submitted. Working in Indian market, you are going to be affected by that. Ashish Trivedi is the chief executive of Newton College of Business and Technology in Auckland, one of the 51 institutions with a high rate of declined visas. He says immigration is taking a tougher line and all institutions enrolling from India are having a lot of students turned down. Everyone uh, in that market, everyone dealing in that market has been uh, affected by that. Um, it is, it is, uh, some of it is uh, a real uh, necessary uh, crackdown on fraudulent activities and, and, and you know, we support that. Uh, some of it is uh, obviously, you know, there is then follow-on effect and, and you uh, ultimately scare of a lot of uh, good applications that New Zealand is currently a no-no market to apply from. He says the college and other institutions are reviewing which agents they use now that immigration is providing figures showing where their declined applicants are coming from. And he warns against trying to demonise particular types of institutions or agents. He says polytechnics are often using the same agents as the private sector and licensed immigration agents are among those that have put forward students with faked financial documents. If there is a dirt digging activity or dirt throwing activity at each other, ultimately the entire reputation of market will get harmed and it won't be limited to India. Other markets will also take notice of reputation damage and, and the whole industry can suffer. So we have to be really mature about it, very uh, careful about how we handle it. Paul Chalmers from the Auckland International Education Group is the director of Newton College. He says high visa decline rates reflect the work of agents, not institutions, because it's the agents who are in India interviewing potential students and recommending them for enrolment. But he says there are shonky institutions, and he wants the government to shut them down. We have been consistently undermined by the practices of a number of small providers that are working with agents to allow students uh, leeway that they should not be allowed. What are they doing? Well, there are three main ones. The, the first one is lack of attendance. The second area is the uh, granting of diplomas without the students actually completing the diploma. Uh, the third problem that we have is that there are some providers that assist agents in the field to get students jobs where the students are paying for these jobs. Such practices allow people to dodge immigration rules, but also make students vulnerable to exploitation by employers and undermine New Zealand's reputation. Paul Chalmers says Immigration New Zealand has increased its spot-checking of tertiary institutions to make sure students are meeting attendance requirements. But he says more could be done. We will be asking them to combine 
they're auditing with NZQA's auditing program called External Evaluation and Review. And if we can combine those two programs, we think that that will see an end to Shonky providers. That would mean uh, you would have spot checks, and, and we're recommending secret shoppers for the very determined rogue operators in the industry. An insider with intimate knowledge of the industry has written to RNZ describing a range of bad practices at private institutions. Students are commonly charged reset fees after they don't pass an assignment on the first try. Sometimes these fees are sanctioned by the provider and sometimes they're simply a way for the tutor to make a bit of extra money. Tutors are usually employed on casual contracts for three to six months at a time. There's constant pressure to pass students and tutors who do not toe the line find themselves out of a job at the end of their contract. Our informant says government agencies have identified serious deficiencies in management and pastoral care at some institutions, but little happens. None of the government agencies are adequately equipped to even properly investigate these complaints, let alone do anything with the findings. The Qualifications Authority refused to provide an interview for this programme, but said in a statement it's been investigating more than 30 institutions that are signatories to the code of practice that allows foreign student enrolments. Since 1 July 2015, NZQA has responded to 40 formal complaints about code signatories and undertaken investigations at 34 code signatories involving 12 statutory interventions. Those statutory interventions included ordering institutions to provide financial documents or stop subcontracting other organisations to do their teaching. But in most of the cases, NZQA simply asked for the education provider's side of the story and concluded there was no problem. Whistleblowers made some of the complaints, which included students getting qualifications they had not earned. Most providers do a very good job, but unfortunately in all these situations there's always a few that we have to write the rules for because otherwise they'll behave in a way that wouldn't be enhancing our reputation. The Minister for Tertiary Education, Stephen Joyce, is confident that most education providers are above board and that the Qualifications Authority and Immigration New Zealand are on top of those that are causing problems. He says the government agency's work will be made a lot easier by the introduction at the start of July of a revised code of practice. If you don't belong to the code, if you don't sign up to the code, you can't bring in students. So if you're stopped from belonging to the code because of the way you've behaved, then your business is gone. So it's a pretty serious sanction. And what this does is make sure that NZQA, with supporting information from Immigration New Zealand and as the code administrator, will be able to say, no, we're not happy with the practices here, and if we, uh, you know, if we don't see a very significant change immediately, you know, you're, you're placing your whole future at risk. Stephen Joyce says the code will also make providers responsible for the actions of their overseas agents. It's really important that providers take responsibility for the actions of their agents in the market and this new updated code of practice is making that particularly clear. And in fact they could lose the right to bring students into the country if they don't make sure that their student agents behave properly. And Stephen Joyce denies the government's drive toward the target of $5 billion in annual income has encouraged institutions to sacrifice quality in a race for enrolments. I'm confident that overall they're not. As I say, I think we're talking about a small group of providers that behave questionably, and we have 700, 800 providers across the, the country. In terms of the statement, we are seeing good progress. There's you know, more to be done, though, particularly in the areas of offshore provision, which although we're getting some growth, it needs to grow significantly more if we're going to achieve those aspirational targets. 
But the president of the tertiary education union, Sandra Gray, is worried international student enrolments are inevitably having a negative effect on many honest, high-quality education providers. She says polytechnics and universities are so squeezed for cash that they're making allowances for international students because they don't want to lose their fees. Our members are seeing the pressures of their institutions having to get more international students. And so they get subtle kind of cues to just admit that student into your course because, hey, they're not far off the mark and they'll catch up. So, you know, it may not be happening in large numbers yet, but the pressure is certainly there to bend the rules where possible because the government has made our institutions reliant on that international money. Sandra Gray says institutions are also changing what they teach in order to appeal to international students, the introduction of one-year master's degrees being one example. This market is affecting our domestic teaching, and, you know, that may not be a wholly bad thing, but, you know, we should actually be looking to provide a New Zealand experience of teaching and learning, not something that just fits an international market. Fitzgerald has got a total of about 1,100 equivalent full-time international students and WellTech around about 500, and about 70% of those come from either India or China. Chris Gosling is the chief executive of the two Wellington region polytechnics, WellTech and Fitzgerald. He doesn't think institutions are feeling the pressure to pass foreign students. I've heard those stories, but I'm unconvinced, to be honest, In the environment the public sector and the private sector has operated in the last almost 15 years now, most students are fee-paying. Most students either pay their own fees or get fees paid by the government. So that that imperative to pass students is actually no different for international students than it is for domestic students. Chris Gosling says international student numbers are growing, but they're still lower than they were in the early to mid-2000s, and they're not out of proportion to domestic enrolments. He worries that people are losing sight of just how valuable international students are to New Zealand, and not just in terms of the money they spend here. What gets forgotten in this whole debate is how important they are from an educational point of view. A New Zealand student living in the Hutt Valley coming to class and rubbing shoulders with students from India, from China, from Russia, that's a fantastic learning experience for those students as well. So I do worry that if we start getting a situation where there gets to be a groundswell of a thinking around um, international students in a negative sense, that that will be bad for New Zealand and will be bad for institutions. Here on Lambton Quay in downtown Wellington is the head office of Education New Zealand, the organisation charged with building the foreign student business. Its chief executive, Grant McPherson, says it's hard to completely prevent students and providers from working the system, and New Zealand is not alone. Some of the challenges that different parts of the world have had with different kind of nationalities around whether it's fraud or assignments that are being written on behalf of other people. There's always something going on in this industry. The thing is, how do you manage it and keep it at a manageable rate and be aware and identify where those risks are? So is there an iceberg out there? I'm not too sure. But Grant McPherson is sure the majority of international students are trustworthy and most of the providers that teach them are doing a good job. He says Education New Zealand expects 25 to 30,000 Indian students to study in New Zealand over the next year, and he doubts the current problems will dent the market for long. India, by I think it's by 2022, will have 500 million people coming into the workforce. And a couple of years ago, we met uh, the Minister for Human Resource Development in India, and he sort of put that number out there. He said, yeah, that's not an India problem, that's a global problem. 
For New Zealand, India's training needs are not so much a global problem as a major opportunity. But high risk accompanies India's potentially high rewards, and right now that market is exposing problems in New Zealand's education system that industry insiders have long complained about. Now the government must ensure that a few bad apples are not spoiling the entire market, for both New Zealand's sake and for the students who sacrifice so much to come here. I'm John Gerritsen and that's Insight for this week. If you have any thoughts or want to get in touch, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send a tweet. Our Twitter handle is at InsightRNZ. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philippa Tolly with technical production by Mark Chesterman. The material from India provided by RNZ's online magazine The Wireless was made possible with support from the Asia New Zealand Foundation.